If you ever wondered what's the connection between a contract law spendthrift trust and contract law itself, well, you come to the right place. Although I'm sure the answers are not what you're expecting. Hi, my name is Don Thornton. I'm an infinite wealth strategist. I'm also a real estate investor. I'm known as Don the short sale guy in my other career because I am one of the country's best short sale investors for 20 years. I've helped homeowners get out from under upside down mortgages, avoid foreclosure and save their credit. In this video, I'm gonna to talk to you and explain to you exactly what a spendthrift trust is, how its status on contract law is based on the Constitution, and we're going to go over a couple of Supreme Court rulings that solidify, uh, you know, the uh, reality of the fact that the trust is not subject to the legislation or legislature, I should say, uh, as our corporations, LLCs, land trusts, and so on and so forth. So, what is a spendthrift trust? Well, at its core, it is a contract. Ultimately, it all goes down to the fact that it's a contract. It's created, given life through a contract in the form of the manifestations of intention and terms and conditions of the spendthrift trust, which is often referred to as the instrument. <sighs> That's a lot of legalese there, isn't it? Uh, let's just get down to just very basic level. It's a contract based on contract law. Okay. And as I said previously, a contract in the form of a spendthrift trust does not owe its existence to any act of the legislature. Now, what does that mean? That basically means that the legislature did not create a spendthrift trust. It was created on its own as a separate contract. So LLCs, corporations, land trusts, they're all created by the, the legislature, which means they're subject to its rules. They have to follow its rules. A spendthrift trust is a contract based on contract law, which is outside of that purview. That's very, very important. Now, talking about the spendthrift trust and what it is, basically, as a contract, it is designed to serve uh, the beneficiaries of the trust. And the way this works is that as a non-grantor trust, the, um, the, the owners or the trustee is not the person that creates the trust because we don't want to have an alter ego situation with the IRS. So, uh, that means that a third party opens the trust up, creates it, and then names a person. If you decide to come on board and invest in a, in a, in a spendthrift trust, then that means that's you. You're going to be the trustee of the trust. And then you are going to name the beneficiaries of the trust. And then you are going to act as the management of the trust. You're going to manage the assets. Any assets are sold into the trust because it is an irrevocable trust. That means that any assets have to be sold into the trust and they become the trust property. And so then the trustee's uh, responsibility and job is to manage and maintain the assets of the um, spendthrift trust for the beneficiaries. And because of the nature of the beneficial trust, excuse me, the uh, spendthrift trust and the spendthrift provision that's in the trust, as I said, it's a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary, spendthrift trust. Uh, the fact that it is not a creature of the legislature and not bound by its rules and regulations goes a long way into making sure that the asset protection of all the assets in the, in the trust are going to be as bulletproof as you can get. 
Okay, much better than some of these convoluted strategies that I see about forming, you know, LLCs in Wyoming or or Nevada or whatever. You don't have to have that. The trust itself is going to do that for you. So what I would love for you to do now is to go down and subscribe to my video, to my to my YouTube channel. I make it I'm on a quest to educate as many people as possible with an emphasis on anyone who's not a W-2 employee to be able to use the amazing uh, tax advantages and or tax reduction advantages and asset protection that this uh, trust provides. And so uh, to be notified immediately when um, I drop another video, you know, Click subscribe and click the little button there so you get notified when this video drops. I normally do these on Sundays, uh, but sometimes I'll throw an extra video in every now and then if I have the time or inclination. So just go ahead and uh, uh, do the subscribe and hit the bell and you'll get notified. Uh, so now I want to talk about uh, the Constitution and how um, the right to contract is guaranteed by the Constitution. If you want to be specific, I'll tell you. It is guaranteed by Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1. And this clause is basically the foundation of everything that's going on here, and that clause is no state shall pass any law impairing the obligation of contract. Okay, so this is why this is such a powerful feature of the Spendthrift Trust, because it is guaranteed by the Constitution. We're not talking about Congress 40 years later, 150 years later, or whatever, passing a law or, or regulation states this, this, and this. This is, a con this is a constitutional right. Every American citizen has the right to contract. And as it says right there in the Constitution, that the no state shall pass any law that impairs the obligation of the parties in the contract. So, you know, we have the right to enter into a contract, a buyer and seller, uh, someone performing a service, someone who is the recipient of the service. All right. And so what we're doing here in the trust, like we talked about in the previous section, is that. The trust itself is a contract, and every party in the contract is bound by the rules of the contract. The trustee, the trustee is obligated as a fiduciary responsibility to manage and maintain the assets of the trust on the behalf of the beneficiaries. The beneficiaries are a part of the contract, right? So you see, everything has to do with contract law, and as the Constitution says, the legislature, the government cannot get involved in the business of the contract. That's such an important thing that I want you to understand. Uh, one, another thing that I really want you to understand is my fervent desire that you go down and leave me a comment because I really want to hear your comments. I want to hear what people are thinking. I'd love to hear your opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion. Maybe you'd like some more information. I'd love to engage. And ultimately, frankly, I'd love to get you on the phone and talk to you about how this works and, and how this could benefit you. So uh, go down and, and frankly, you know, comment. And if you have any, any requests of other, any other videos, do that too. That would be amazing. And uh, we can start having a nice communication here. So uh, let's talk about what the Supreme Court rulings are. There are two of them that really solidified the trust standing 
as uh, you know why the co contract law is inviolable when it comes to um, you know this trust. So the very first ruling that came down, and a very important ruling, was called Fletcher versus Peck, way back in 1810. Now, uh, like a lot of things that happened back in the early parts of our, our, our country's history, you know, a lot of this was was had to do with the fact that some land speculators. They wanted to get stolen Indian land that the Georgia legislature had put together, had, had uh, allowed to be sold, parceled and sold. And these two land speculators uh, bought up a lot of land and uh, uh, a lot of it was done with some skullduggery, some some corruption, of course. And so they uh, they uh, um, the, the legislature uh, after the fact, you know, basically passed a law that said that, uh, you know, that we're done this is illegal. We don't want this. And so we're going to repeal that law and, uh, you know, basically renege on, on that transaction. Well, the speculators sued and, uh, the Supreme court, it was the very first ruling that reiterated and established the, the sanctity of legal contracts. And the, and the key phrase here was that a contract, no matter how obtained cannot be invaded by state legislatures. And so it reiterated the constitutional right to contract. That was the very first ruling of the Supreme Court, which basically said that, you know, Article One we talked about in the previous section of the video about the the in, that the fact that we have an inviolable right to contract. This was the first ruling that came out and said, absolutely, the illegal contract is 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 uh, is the sanctity sanctity of our uh, government, our society. And even if it wasn't necessarily uh, obtained, you know, done with with righteous means or whatever, it was still a contract. OK, so uh, the second major ruling that happened was Elliott versus Freeman back in 1911. Now, this had to do with the Tariff Act of August 5th, 1909. Now, I can I can listen. I'm I'm psychic in some ways. I can feel when my viewers eyes are glazing over. Oh, my God, she's talking about tariffs. It's okay. It's going to be real quick. All right. I'm just giving you the background. So that was the the law that they that the Supreme Court was ruling on. And we don't care about the background of the law per se. I just want to talk to you about what the actual uh, you know ruling was. And it stated in this ruling that the law, this Tariff Act of eight of August fifth, nineteen oh nine, only applied to corporations and joint stock associations that were organized under some statute or source not existing under common law. What does that mean? That means that common law already existed, right? This law only applied to corporations or other entities that were organized by statute. What does a statute mean? It means an act of the legislation, or the legislature, okay? That's what it means. And so uh, that's what's most important for us is that a trust, and it specifically talks about a trust here, that is uh, that was not is not a creature of the legislature, was was not involved. This this law did not apply to a trust, and that's the key part here. And so that that even further cemented the fact that our trust, based on contract law, which of course in other in other words common law, is not subject to those legislations. So. Um, just to reiterate, okay, so that the, the spendthrift trust 
is not within the corp the, the uh, provision of uh, corporation tax law. The trust comes under the realm of equity, which is based on common law, and it's not subject to legislative reg restrictions uh, like corporations by the legislature. Just a very small example, okay? You know, um, I have an S-Corp and I, I run my, my business or my S-Corp for my entire career as a real estate investor. And every year I have to, I have to register with the state. I have to file an annual report whenever, even if I want to do something as simple as open up a bank account, I have to write out a corporate resolution that this is going to happen when to keep minutes. All that stuff has to be done. The reason why is that is required by the legislature it is a, that because it is a creature of the legislature. Whereas the trust does not have to be registered. You know, in, in some states, it may need to be registered to help you get a bank account, but it's not required by law that you have to do it like a corporation is because it was not created by the legislature. Therefore, you get so much more an anonymity and privacy when it comes to your trust and how you're going to run whatever whatever you're running through. If it's personal, if it's real estate investing, if you're, if you're doing this uh, to protect your assets in your business, it doesn't matter. Okay, so what I want to again repeat is that this is the best way to protect your personal assets, your business assets, and to be able to use the trust's unique status to be able to save a lot of money on your taxes. So, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to reach out to me. We can talk more about it. Um, you know, in the description of this in this video here on YouTube, you'll see the uh, my phone number. If you're watching this on on social media, my phone number is on there as well. Don't be afraid. Text me, call me. I'll talk to you because this is so important, and I want to make sure that you get the education you need to make the right decisions. And you know, just to, and, and one last thing. Remember, I'm doing this just for informational purposes only. I'm not a licensed uh, uh, attorney. I'm not a licensed CPA. And by all means. You should get, you know, uh, competent, licensed uh, uh, advice before you enter into any transaction. And uh, thank you very much.